Good morning and welcome to Start the Week with Lorna and Lottie, the place where we chat leadership, culture, communications and anything else that takes our fancy, frankly, and still sons intro music, Lorna Leeson. <laughs> I hold you entirely responsible. I hold Lewis, my guitarist, responsible because he promised me a jingle months ago and I'm still jingleless, jingle free all the way through December and now all the way through January. A bit like I've been booze free, booze free and jingle free. What a catastrophe. Booze and music free January. It's been quite bleak, but we're nearly at the end of it. Yeah. So we'll have all the booze and all the music come February. Some of the booze and all of the music. Quite. Quite. (laughs) Exactly. So this week we are going to be looking at toxic culture through the lens of popular culture, namely, according to Lorna, the greatest reality TV show ever, um, The Traitors. The Traitors. I love it hard. Well, I apparently do. Apparently, do now. Obviously, you know I'm more of a married at first sight girl. And um, <laughs> hands up, I've actually never seen the traitors. But um, Lorna assures me that she's going to bring me along on today's exploration of the lessons leaders can apparently learn from the traitors. Um, now I'm a bit worried. Are you suggesting that we all channel our <laughs> inner Machiavelli, or what? <laughs> or what? Um, I am not suggesting that we all channel our inner Machiavelli. I am, in fact, suggesting that if we're not careful, we fall into the trap of channeling our inner Machiavelli um, and the things that leaders inadvertently do that turn people into Machiavelli. But I do stand by my assessment. It is the greatest reality TV show of all time. And more importantly, I think it's responsible for fingerless gloves selling out everywhere. It's a Claudia Winkleman thing. Claudia Winkleman's wardrobe is a a masterpiece. So, um, of course, I watched it thinking Claudia Winkleman's wardrobe is a masterpiece. But I also watched it thinking, what can business and leaders take from this? And of course, I have all the opinions on it. So no way. Really? I cannot believe this. So unlike me. So, So unlike you. Right. You've not seen the show, but for anybody who's listening who hasn't seen the final, I'm actually going to try and keep it spoiler free. If you've not seen any of it, because Lottie hasn't seen any of it, actually, I think we can make this relevant. Um, If it's not relevant, then I can only apologise now. But would you like me to explain the concept, Lottie? Uh, I think the only answer I'm to give is yes, please, Lorna. No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. End of podcast. Bye. (laughs) I'll see you next week. So basically, The Traitors is, as we've already said, a reality TV show. It's set in a remote Scottish castle, the most beautiful, incredible surroundings, hosted by Claudia Winkleman, who um, is my all time girl crush. I adore her. There are around 20 people. I think it's 22 people. And they're from all walks of life, all ages. And they need to work together to complete these increasingly challenging tasks to build up a prize fund that at the end, one or two of them, potentially three, could win. So they have to collaborate. Okay. It's a collaboration on these tasks. However, and this is the twist, there are traitors amongst them. So Claudia secretly selects traitors. She selects three at the beginning. And the traitor's job is to pick off the faithful contestants in the middle of the night. So they go to bed and then they get told, you've been murdered by the, by the traitors. 
and they have to leave the, the castle in the dead of night and everyone turns up for breakfast the next morning and they need to just see who's not there. So basically, you know, some Aubrey doesn't turn up for breakfast and everyone's like, oh, my God, they killed Aubrey. So thereby they reduce their competition. So the traitors are tactically killing people. And and every evening everyone gathers around basically a massive round board table and they have to vote to banish the person that they think is a traitor. If any traitors are left at the end, the traitors get the prize fund. If the faithful co correctly and accurately banish all of the traitors, then they get the prize fund. But if they get to the end, and they don't think there are traitors in their midst, but the traitors have managed to hang on. The traitors take the money. It's gripping. So this is kind of a, a combination of a need to collaborate, poisoned, as you might suspect, with this culture of mistrust. And for me, it's basically succession. But in Scotland, with an owl, it's like a perfect allegory for modern business. I adore it. I adore it. So in effect, the whole environment and culture undermines the way they need to work together to achieve their aims. So kind of on the surface, it sounds like they're all focused on the same goal, but everything about the culture creates mistrust and competition. Yes. 100%. Oh, that's great. And you know what it sounds like? All of the hallmarks of classic organisational toxic culture. Um mm -hmm unclear work responsibilities and boundaries, nepotism, cronyism, favouritism, negative, hostile or aggressive interaction with co-workers, no psychological safety, manipulation and blame games, um, lack of appreciation for work completed, cliques, gossip and rumours, I could go on. It just sounds like they've created almost the perfect toxic culture. Yes. I mean, it's like you've almost read that from the Wood Reed thought paper on toxic culture. Have you? Is that a plug? We should re we should re-release that because that's such a great summary of what they're doing in traitors. And it is toxic culture writ large. Yeah. The other thing we talk about, I think, in the Wood Reed thought paper is um, a kind of a lack of diversity. And the thing that the traitors do without even realising they're doing it is they only bloody well recruit men. They only recruit other men. They get rid of they they like throw the only female traitor under a bus very early on and then they only recruit mediocre men in like them. them like them so they look a bit like them but a bit more shit and so that they can easily get rid of them and it's just at one point claudia says oh another man it's like the olden days um so it's just so perfect as um a facsimile of this toxic culture it's so malevolent so malevolent and of course they mistrust each other massively so even the faithful when it comes to banishing people there's this culture of mistrust so they're sending home their best players they're sending home people who are doing brilliant a brilliant work in building the prize fund and finishing the task simply because they go so they're so paranoid there's this culture of mistrust they completely misinterpret their actions so maybe somebody says something that someone doesn't quite take the right way and they're like you must be a traitor you're gonna die um everyone thinks they're a brilliant judge of character but i've got to be honest their judgments are almost to a person to paraphrase our dear home secretary their judgments are just batshit crazy they're absolutely it, it sends good people completely bonkers do you know why though they because they'll they'll be constantly in the away state as well yes. they're flight or flight as you always talk about yeah 
their, their cortisol, their amygdalas, all the all the brain things that you love to talk about. They're they're constantly in that heightened state of away. And so, and we know that when people are in the away state, classically, they they their judgment's really poor. Absolutely, your judgment is poor. Your compassion is low. Your ability to think creatively or in depth or reflect is just almost non-existent. Your paranoia is high. The whole thing from the paranoia, the mistrust, the stressful environment, the competition, the all of it is just designed to send you a bit a bit bonkers, really bonkers. So, yeah, it's it's hilarious, really. You see them making these terrible decisions about who to banish every night. They immediately regret it when they realise they've banished a really good, faithful contestant. And then the next night they go and do the bloody thing all over again. They just don't learn. And how many times do we do something similar to that? in an organization it's amazing it's really fascinating you know and you see, you see that happen again I mean you can see that happen in organizations all the time can't you, you know people like their own unconscious bias um, and poor judgments about their colleagues get in the way of creating really good high performance teams you know and what happens is that everyone ends up losing yeah totally totally yeah. Yeah. And where do the traitors come into it then it sounds like the mistrusting faithful is kind of stitching them up kind of all by themselves yeah, I mean, the faithful do do a very good job of like ballsing it up for themselves, particularly this series. But this is the genius. So to build up the prize pot, the traitors need to look like they're great team players on the surface. But underneath the surface, they're lying. They're playing their colleagues off against each other. They're perpetuating this mistrust. They're turning against each other. So they come across as charming and lovely. And they are always the people that the others last suspect will betray them. People say things like, oh, Paul, he's so lovely. Harry's such a sweetheart. And then they go into the traitor's den and kind of do the in their cloak. It's brilliant. And then they do this unveiling thing on BBC Two in a kind of an add on show where the faithful who've been banished get to see who the traitors really are. And almost every single time they're absolutely flawed. They don't realise that they've been duped by these people because they were so nice on the surface and such high performers in the tasks. So these traitors are like the snakiest, snakiest of snakes. And we've never met anyone like that in a workplace, have we? Never. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so these the people that Simon Sinek call the high performing assholes, the ones that perform really well, but their behaviour undermines trust in the whole team. Yes, yes, yes. Traitors are high performing assholes, trademark Simon Sinek. Absolutely. Yeah, really. You know, and again, I can I, I'm just kind of bringing John Amici's quote to, to mind as well, that, you know, culture is the worst behaviour that any leader is willing to tolerate. Quite. Quite. And Claudia tolerates quite a lot of bad behaviour, all in the name of brilliant television. Absolutely. OK, so what are the lessons for leaders in this, do you think? You know, don't re- relocate your HQ to a remote Highland Castle. Don't hire owls as receptionists. So they're genuinely owls as receptionists. There's an amazing note. At the beginning, they've got this incredible owl that basically invites people to the it's like Hogwarts, but with a kind of a, a even more of a Machiavellian undertone, this amazingly trained owl flies invitations to things to people and could have kind of oversees the whole proceeding. It's amazing. So no, I don't think you need to relocate HQ to um, a Highland Castle or hire owls, but they're inadvisable anyway. <laughs> um, definitely don't carry out restructures by getting people to write down the names of people they don't like on bits of slate. Um, I actually think the lesson's multiple to be to be semi-serious here. 
So I do think that leaders unconsciously create the same dynamic that the traitors have. And you talked about it when you were kind of relaying what Woodread have already spoken about in terms of what are the hallmarks of the a hallmarks, toxic yeah. culture. Yeah. So leaders try and have collaboration, but they can often inadvertently create the conditions for mistrust and competition. They pick favourites, which is the equivalent of Claudia's little tap on the shoulder. They create groups within groups. I lose track of the time I've seen leaders I know who, who almost give a special task to their preferred players and they don't even tell the other people in the team that that's going on. So they kind of set a task within a task. They kind of don't let people know. I've asked, I've asked Bob and Mary to do this and Bob and Mary are thinking we're so special because we've been asked to do this by the boss. It's just toxic. And then you um, end up creating those, you end up creating really negative silo cultures by doing that as well. Totally, totally. And that's exactly what, you know, Traitors is designed to do. And so all of this, you know, we create mistrust by giving different directions to different people, playing them off against each other. I mean, even in bonus schemes that in effect do the same thing that Claudia does. We build a prize fund together. But for you to get your biggest slice of the pot, you've got to stitch up a colleague. We inadvertently do that in creating bonus schemes all the time. So there's all these pitfalls that leaders fall into that um, BBC have just managed to kind of you know, signpost all of them throughout this whole series. It's brilliant. You no, know, it's really interesting. I'm kind of starting to get it now. You know, so this we can see now how this can actually really happen quite easily between teams or departments. You know, different teams ended up getting pitted against each other, and the way that people just disappear in the dead of the night and no one knows they're going. It's those surprise exits, and actually, it it, it reminded me of a of an agency I once worked for quite a short period of time, mm. and they had a culture where you know, a poor performing or for whatever reason, the MD decided they'd taken against a person. I mean, you they go into the MD's room and they'd literally come out silently, clear their desks and off they'd oh. fuck. Right. And, it, and we'd all sit around going, oh, my God, Bob, what's Bob done? And then Bob, Bob would just be gone. Yeah. And no one would ever speak of Bob again. We do Bob, not mention Bob, Bob again. No. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's brilliant. In the traitors, they, they at least have a wall of portraits with a big like cross through the faces of the ones who've who've been murdered in the night. But um, can you imagine if we did that in some organisations, there'd be like a whole wall of the of the people <laughs> that have been off in the middle of the yeah. night. I've worked in a business like where they did that. I mean, I've worked in more than one business where they've done that. But, you know, it's just like the traitors. But I don't know, on an industrial estate in Rushton, for example. So people would disappear. They're picked off. But what seems to outsiders like a whim with absolutely no notice. And now, of course, everybody then thinks, am I next? Am I aligning myself with the wrong people? They, might they be next? Can I even trust a bloody word this leader is telling me? Because this is what's happening un underneath the surface. You just imagine what kind of high stress environment that yeah. ends up being and the really massive negative impact on performance as a result. Totally, totally. And then and then that perpetuates more mistrust, which creates kind of the more crazy stories about other people. They, they then get fired. It turns everybody into a traitor. And I don't think leaders and organisations realise that um, a culture of those sorts of exits. We're talking about settlement agreements, really. And of course, there is a time and a place for 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 managing an exit in that way. But sometimes we rely on it too much or we miscommunicate the outcome of it. We don't agree how to communicate it. And then what happens is exactly as you've just said, people think, where the bloody hell's Bob gone? Am I next? Am I the next Bob? Are mm. you the next Bob? Do I need to distance myself from you? We just end up following the leader's 
direction trying to stick close to them suck up to them just to survive it just brings the worst out in and, you, and we're not even I mean, we're not even exaggerating the crazy thing about it is we're not even exaggerating I mean you know what I mean it's like no. you know the, the the art of that show is imitating life perfectly absolutely absolutely and we've all worked in an organization or heard, at least heard of an organization mm. that operates the way that the traitors operates and sometimes we think well that's just how businesses operate I mean you, you remember the Dilbert cartoons like they almost kind of took the mickey out of organizations that operated like that so yeah you um yeah you're really getting it it's completely the same yeah no it's really it's really really interesting um and so is there anything else that leaders need to watch out for in your opinion um so one thing that I didn't mention, actually, is there is one faithful who, in almost everyone's opinion, had brilliant judgment. And when I say everyone, I mean like the watching public. Twitter. Yeah. So what, what traits did that particular person have then? So this guy, Jazz, who was nicknamed Jazzatha Christie because his instincts for spotting a traitor was so spot on. He was analytical. He gathered his evidence. He worked on facts. He was observant. Um but nobody bloody listened to him. So time and time again, very early on, he'd be saying, I'm not sure about this person. Um, I'm not sure about this. And he'd try and have a conversation with someone and they distance themselves from him. They wouldn't listen to him. Um, and because they liked the people, they, it's this idea of, oh, I, I like that person. They're a nice person. They're my mate. They, they judged Jazz for coming to them with concerns. So he was kind of trying to raise a flag trying to whistleblow, trying to say, I'm not sure something's right here. And because people didn't want to hear it, they were ostracizing him. But he was right. He was right. It was so infuriating, so infuriating to see him almost get there and try and convince somebody. And people were critiquing him as a game player for not having persuasion. But actually his his absolute kind of straight down the line honesty just calling a kind of a spade a spade being very factual very measured was the thing that made him such a good faithful for me it's infuriating yeah. we do that all the time don't we yeah I'm just, in, I'm, I'm just thinking back to when we were talking about the power of stories and just wondering whether jazz's problem was that maybe he was too maybe he was too reliant on his facts and his data and his evidence and he really should have created a more narrative style well, it's very funny because what happened when people were voting people off is they did build these stories about them. To, and make, almost, to, to make it convincing. To make it convincing. Yeah. And you can see other people cottoning on to the stories. Yeah. So, you know, we said when we were talking about stories, we tell each other stories and ourselves stories all the time in life and in business. Yeah. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were creating these narratives about people and then reinforcing the narrative with things they believed they were seeing. So it was kind of feeding itself. And yes, unfortunately, um, he wasn't a particularly elegant storyteller. He wasn't playing that game. So he didn't do so well. So he no. didn't convince, exactly. No. And the other thing I think is that, um, you know, groupthink comes into play. Jazz was a dissenting voice. So nobody was saying, hang on. Do I need to pay attention to someone who's saying something a bit different? Why are we not listening to this person? Is there anything in it? You know, um, we it, those groupthink um, kind of rules that we were talking about a few weeks ago. It was groupthink playing out as well. Yeah, Ripping. absolutely. We, and we say it all the time, don't we? Listen to your dissenting voices. Avoid groupthink at all costs. Ask yourself, 
do we have genuine diversity of thought you know whose voices am I not listening to in this yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and if they'd asked them those questions they would have come up with jazz and they would have gone oh is he on to something and they without giving any spoilers away may have you know things may have unfolded in a different direction so yes traitors just like modern business brilliant i love it you 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 you've done you've done a you've done a review of a tv show and we've been able to dissect and analyze the uh, traits of toxic culture and give our leaders some um some things to watch out for absolutely so leaders i would never usually say this be a bit less claudia winkleman ordinarily in life i would always say can, be a bit can they have can they have the fringe though they can have the fringe. They can even have the massive jumper and some amazing hunter wellies. And the fingerless gloves. And the fingerless gloves. But they need to draw the line at creating the toxic culture that made traitors so brilliant. Brilliant. Right. You have a great week. Um, and I'm going to go <laughs> and uh, find some time this week to watch it on catch up. You totally should. Thoroughly recommend. Thank you for letting me convert you. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's always my pleasure. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Have a good <laughs> Good day, lovely Lorna. Amazing. You too. Have a wonderful week. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.